We are um, in this series called Follow Me, where we're talking about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And the way that we're doing that is that we're looking at stories um, that involved Jesus' 12 disciples. We're looking at the lives of these guys who, for three and a half years, followed Jesus every step he took. And then we're learning what we learned from their lives and applying it to our lives. Um, the first couple of weeks, we looked at um, a couple of stories where Jesus took his disciples on a couple of trips. The first trip was through um, Samaria, which is a place that these Jewish men had spent their whole lives avoiding because the Jews hated the Samaritans. Um, but Jesus wanted them to understand that following Jesus means allowing him to expand the limits of his love that's expressed through him. And I don't know if you recognize that, but we often do that, don't we? We put limits on God's love expressed through us. We know that God loves everyone, but oftentimes we don't let it be expressed to everyone around us. And so, just like with, with us, these guys had to learn that, that this group they'd spent their whole lives hating and avoiding, Jesus put them right in the middle of them to not only um, uh, interact with them, but to minister to them. Jesus set up this scenario where all these people came from the town, and he said, the harvest is plentiful. Here they come. And so, um, so that's what he was teaching him on that trip. Then we looked at Mark 4, where Jesus takes them a, a trip across a lake. And on that trip, he was teaching them to trust, trust him. Even when following Jesus means, means winding up in a fierce storm, right? Because sometimes following Jesus, we end up in a storm, and we still have to trust him. Last week, we looked at a story that took place on the uh, shore of the Sea of Galilee, where we learned that we all follow the same Jesus, but we all have different paths. We all don't walk the same path in becoming more and more like him. Today, we're going to look um, at just a couple of real short passages in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus teaches his disciples something that we see Jesus doing quite often, and that is getting alone with God. Over and over and over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus getting away from the crowds to get alone with his heavenly Father. Jesus often withdrew from the demands placed on him to get alone with God. And this wasn't something that, that he just kept to himself. He placed this value in the disciples as well. And we pick up the story in Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 6. Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned these people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with oil. So Jesus sends his disciples out on a ministry trip. But watch what happens when they come back. Skip down to verse 30. 
The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all the things they had done and taught. Then Jesus says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. So not only does Jesus do this, not only is that a pattern in his life, Jesus taught his disciples to withdraw from the demands placed on them to get alone with God. See, Jesus had this rhythm to the way that he lived. He would minister to the demands of the crowd, and then he would get alone with God. He would work really hard, and then he would get alone with God. He would teach the people, and then he would get alone with God. That was his rhythm. He, he even gives us little pictures of this all throughout creation, right? You know, the, we live in a world of rhythm. The tide comes in, and the tide comes out. The sun comes up, and the sun goes down. The seasons come, and the seasons go. The kids grow up, and the kids leave, we hope. Um, <laughs> after God created the world, he rested, right? Not because he was exhausted, because God never tires, but to model for us the rhythm of work and rest. Um, when our uh, youngest daughter was in her tween years, some, like between 10 and 12, somewhere around there, she took piano lessons. <clears throat> and like most kids taking piano lessons, you know, we had to work to make her practice, right? Um, we had to just kind of stay on her. But when she practiced her songs, she would speed through them at such a rate it was inintelligible, right? I mean, she would hit every note, and you could kind of tell what song it was, but it was so fast that it really didn't sound like the song at all. And, and I didn't, we didn't really say anything. This part of me was like, man, if she can do it that fast, she ought to be able to do it slow, right? <laughs> um, but it's the space in between the notes that makes the music, right? It's the rest in between each note that makes the song the song. The same is true of life. We must have space between the notes, a rhythm to life, um, to make life work as God had designed it. Jesus regularly took time to live in the space between the notes, between the ministry, the healing, the teaching. He took time to live in the space between the notes. He often withdrew from the demands of life to be alone with his heavenly father. Now the question is, <clears throat> if Jesus needed to get alone with God, how much more do we? Right? Like, he is God in the flesh. If he needed it, how much more do we need it? Following Jesus means we have to find ways to get alone with our heavenly father. We have to find ways to do that. But one of the mistakes that we so often make is that we fail to see who we really are as a follower of Jesus. Right? Like we live in this culture where our value is dependent on what we produce. Right? Right? There's like, or, or how productive you are. 
But there's a huge difference with regard to God. There's a huge difference between being a son or daughter of God and being an employee, right? As As an employee, you have a transactional relationship with the company you work for, right? You produce, you're in. You don't produce, you're out. Your compensation is connected to your contribution, and your value is connected to that as well. But it's different when you're part of a family. It's different being a son or a daughter because you're family, right? Your value is not dependent on your performance at all. And as a son of God, my value is intrinsic, not transactional. But for many years, even... um, for many years, I followed Jesus, and, and, and I served God more as an employee than a son, right? I was more concerned with my performance to try and earn his, earn value in that, right? I was connecting, I had somehow tied my value and acceptance on how well I performed. And we're often eager to hear, because we're so used to that in our society, we're often eager to hear, hear the voices that say, prove yourself, do something important, succeed, achieve, right? We love to hear, the, hear that. But God's voice is saying, rest in me. I am your shepherd. I'm your father. You don't have to prove anything to me. You're not an employee. You're my son. You're my daughter. 1 John 3, verse 1 tells us, uh, John is writing, and he says, See how much our Heavenly Father loves us, for he allows us to be called his children, and we really are. I mean, there's no language of performance there or achievement in that verse. And when you finally, when that finally clicks that you're not, you don't have to prove yourself to God. You don't have to perform for him. Then you can just rest in him. Just like Jesus did. You don't have to be an approval addict with your relationship with God. Another problem that I see so frequently is that we lose sight of taking care of our spirit man. And I want to illustrate what that looks like. Um, so I need three volunteers um, just to come on up here. Three guys, three guys, come on up. All right, there's one, there's two. Need one more. Come on, somebody be brave. <laughs> okay. Um, so since you, let me, I need a couple chairs too. Brad, since you were the first one up here, um, you get to be... Um, the flesh part of us. <laughs> so we, we've kind of used illustrations before, right? Like um, we're made of three parts, right? We're just like God is. We're made in the image of God. God is three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're made in his image. We're also three parts. We're body, soul, and spirit, okay? This is our body or flesh, man. Um, then we have a soul, which is made up of our mind and our will and our, and our emotions, and then we have our spirit man, which is the part that is reborn. It's born again when we become a follower of Jesus, okay? But here's what <clears throat> um, taking care of us often looks like, right? 
Like, we're keenly aware when our flesh man gets tired, right? When, when our flesh needs to be replenished and, and rested, right? So here, take a seat, take a load off, man. Here, let me, let me uh, take care of you. We got hash browns, breakfast on a bun. We got orange juice, coffee. This is the you know most important meal of the day, right? And it and it takes care of all the food groups, right? We got we got the meat group in there. We got we got protein. We've got um, the bread group. We got fruit group right here, and of course the caffeine group, which is the most important, right? Um, so. We have no problem taking care of this guy, right? And then we're also kind of keenly aware when we need to rest our mind and our will and emotions. And so, come on, dude, come on, take a, take a, take a break, right? Have a seat, pop on your favorite TV show. You know, maybe, um, what's, uh, what's your favorite show? You know, don't think about anything, don't have to make any decisions, just watch your favorite TV show. Oh, and, and... <laughs> And while you're at it, why don't you just binge watch, right? (laughs) Just binge watch your favorite show, and there you go. You're set. Take a, don't make any decisions. Just rest your mind, rest your emotions, right? But we often overlook that. Look, our spirit man, right? And then we think, oh, shoot, I forgot. Come here. Come on, man. Let's take care of you two here. Take a, take a quick seat right there, and uh, here you go. We remember the little devotional we had sitting on our desk at work. There you go. Right. You? <laughs> Sometimes we treat looking or taking care of our spirit man as kind of like the cherry on top, Right? And that's pretty much all we do for him. When it should be in reverse. Right? We should be, he shouldn't be eating all this fat. He should just have a few cherries. And we should be giving him all the attention. Because he's the one who's leading our lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? As a follower of Jesus, this is the part that's leading our lives. All right? Thanks, guys. Appreciate your help. Give him a hand. Okay, so the point is this, we, the point is this, we replenish our bodies and recharge our souls, but what about our spirit? Our spirit, man, is the most important part of our being, yet so often we neglect it. I was at a... um, Catalyst Conference, I don't know if it was last year or a couple years ago, um, but Andy Stanley said, it's direction, not intention, that determines our destination. See, what we often fail to, to realize is that my life is on a path. It's in a direction. It's headed to a destination, right? What I am doing today was shaped by what I did yesterday. Who I become tomorrow will be informed by what I do today. And I am writing a scene now that will influence the final scene. And so we have to learn how to take personal pit stops 
so that we can consider where we're headed and make mid-race adjustments. In his book, um, In the Name of Jesus, Henry Nguyen identified um, in his own life how our life can kind of get away from us. Listen to what he says. He says, I began to experience a deep inner threat. As I entered into my 50s and was able to realize the unlikelihood of doubling my years, I came face to face with the simple question, did becoming older bring me closer to Jesus? After 25 years of priesthood, I found myself praying poorly, living somewhat isolated from other people, and very much preoccupied with burning issues. Everyone was saying that I was doing really well, but something inside was telling me that my success was putting my own soul in danger. But Jesus teaches and models for us a better way. He said multiple times that everything he taught and everything he did, he only did because his father told him, right? Multiple times in the gospel we see him saying that. He only says what his father tells him to say. He only does what his father tells him to do. But how would he ever know what to do and say if he didn't spend time with his heavenly father? See, Jesus got alone with God to get everything he needed. To do, it, to do what he was put here on earth to do. And the same is true with us. Our Heavenly Father is there to meet your every need. He is there for you when you need rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You realize he's not talking about physical rest there, right? He's talking about spiritual rest. And the only way that we can get spiritual rest is by going to him. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. It's not take a nap and watch your favorite TV show. It's come to me, and I will give you rest. The only way we get spiritual rest is by going to him, which is exactly what Jesus did, and this is exactly what he taught his disciples to do. Uh, after the, the miraculous feeding of 5,000 men plus the women and children, Matthew 14, 23 says, after sending them home, he went up to the hills, to, or went up the hills by himself to pray. Mark 1 tells a story of how Jesus went to Simon and Andrew's house, and Simon's mother-in-law was sick. And so he healed her. She gets up, makes him dinner. But that evening after sunset, which you got to realize is a different culture than ours, we have a tendency to live, you know, on into the night. But when the sun went down in that kind of culture, it was pretty much end of day. But it says that evening after sunset, the whole town brought their sick and demon-possessed to the house for Jesus to heal them. The next verse tells us before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. He had probably spent the whole night healing and ministering. And then the next morning, after he got some sleep, he recognized his spirit needed some rest. And he, he went out to an isolated place to pray. So he is there when you need rest. He is there also when you're hurting. 
Um, one day, Jesus receives word that his cousin, who is John the Baptist, remember John the Baptist was born to Elizabeth, which is Mary's, was it Mary's cousin? So I guess it's his second cousin. Anyway, but he's related to John the Baptist. He gets word one day that uh, John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. Um, Matthew 14, 10. So John was beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. This, there's a whole story behind that. This girl was kind of dancing before Herod. And he pleased, she pleased him so much, she said, I'll give you anything. And the mom had kind of coached her to ask for John the Baptist's head because John the Baptist had been preaching about his relationship with that, his wife, which he shouldn't have been married to anyway. So anyway, whole long story behind that. But anyway, um, it says, later John, John's disciples came for his body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. When Jesus was hurting, when he was grieving over the loss of his cousin, he got alone to be with God. He needed to, he needed to get, he needed to deal with that hurt, and he knew the best way to do that was by getting alone with God. He is there for you when you need peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not worry about anything, but pray and ask God for everything you need, always giving thanks. And God's peace, which is so great we cannot understand it, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What that's telling us is that we need to turn our worries into prayers. We need to go to him, go to our Heavenly Father, turn them into prayers, and he gives us supernatural peace that passes all understanding. He is there for you when you need comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, 3 and 4, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is, God is, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Did you realize that? God's the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. When you need comfort, that's the best place for you to go. Because he's the source. I don't know why we wait, we kind of go to him as a last resort sometimes. But he should be the first one we go to. Because it's our spirit that leads that leads us as followers of Jesus. And, and sometimes we often take care of our, our physical man or, or our mind, will, and emotions part of us and comfort that first. And then, then we realize we're still hurting or we still need comfort and it's because we've, we've neglected our spirit, right? But that's the first thing we should do. Um, he is there for you when you need clarity. Paul's praying for the Ephesians, and he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Sometimes life can get so murky and muddy and, and that we just can't, we just don't know where to go next. We don't know where, what to do next or where to go next. And, and we can go and get perfect clarity for what our next step is. 
every single time. He is there for you when you need wisdom. James 1.5, but if any of you needs wisdom, you should ask God for it. Go to him. Go spend time with your heavenly father and ask him for wisdom. He is generous to everyone and will give you wisdom without criticizing you. This is something that, that Jesus even modeled. Um, when, right before Jesus had picked his 12 disciples, and, um, and if, if you re read the story in Luke, he has all these people following him. And then what happens, it says, One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up to a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. So a lot of times we think that Jesus walked around and picked just 12 guys to follow him. That was it. But no, there was a whole bunch of people following him, and he chose 12. But he spent time with his heavenly father to know which ones. Which were the ones that he was calling to be his 12 closest followers. God is there for you when you need wisdom. He's there for you when you need strength. Isaiah 40, 29, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. That's an awesome promise, right? But we have to go to God to get it. It doesn't just kind of naturally be infused in us when we're still running 90 miles an hour. We have to go to him for it. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. He is there for you when you're overwhelmed. There's this amazing moment right before Jesus was arrested where he was completely overwhelmed by the weight that was being placed on him that he was about to, to have to endure. He was, when Jesus was heavily burdened with the crushing weight of knowing that he was about to die on the cross, he got alone with God. Look at Matthew 26, verse 36 and 38. Then Jesus went with his followers to a place, place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him, and he began to be very sad and troubled. He said to them, my heart is full of sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Jesus was completely overwhelmed by what was coming. He was about to have the sin of the world placed on him. He was about to die for all of us. And he was overwhelmed, and so he went to his heavenly father when he was overwhelmed. But there's something else that happens in that, in that moment. And this is, an, this is the next point. He is there for you when you need to surrender to his will. Because sometimes we just need to surrender to his will. The story goes on in verse 39. He went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. In his uh, book, Uprising, Erwin McManus uh, identifies something that I think we all kind of contend with. He says, we have to ask ourselves... Am I really trying to discern God's will, or am I, or, or determine whether I want to do it? 
right? Sometimes we focus so much on praying, God's, praying for God's will for so long that if we're really honest, we're trying to determine if we really want to do it. We already know what it is. We, we spend a lot of time trying to determine if it's something we really want to do. And in this incredibly vulnerable moment, Jesus spent in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see the struggle of, of what his flesh didn't want to do and, and, and actually surrendering to God's will. It's a struggle that we all face, right? Sometimes our flesh doesn't want to do what we know God is telling us to do. And getting alone with God helps us to surrender to his will. And I think he also, in that moment, gives us courage so that we can do that. I think when going to him and surrendering to his will, I think he helps give us courage to obey his will. See, when I've, I've, when I've done what I believed to be right and acted with spiritual courage, God has always been faithful to show up in those moments. Always. He has never failed in that. Now, do you realize that we've just scratched the surface on, on all of the needs that God can supernaturally meet by you going to him? I mean, we just covered, we just highlighted a few of them here. We have more needs than we have time to address, but God's resources are unlimited. Anything you need, go to him. That's what he's there for. That's what Jesus modeled. That's what he taught the disciples. We've got to focus more on our spirit than, than our soul and our, our flesh. So what do you need? Do you need comfort? Do you need peace? Maybe you need to follow David's example and just go and complain. And cry out to him. Do you need rest for your spirit? It's the only place you can get it is by going to him. Are you hurting? Are you overwhelmed? What's going on? He is there for you. Maybe you just need to get along with God and surrender to his will. There's another um, scripture, I think it's in Luke 9, but it talks about how Jesus had gone, gotten off to be alone to pray, but then it says his disciples were there with him, and then he asked them a question. So I think it's interesting how, like in the passage we looked at, it says they went to be alone, but they were still together. And then in another time, Jesus went to be alone with God to pray, but his disciples were with him. So what I'd like to do as we wrap up, I know we're all sitting in this room, but I just want, as Riken comes up and just plays, I just want you to have a moment alone with God. What is it you need? Spend time, just spend a few minutes telling him. You need rest? You need clarity? 
Are you overwhelmed, frustrated, hurting? What do you need? Let's just take a couple minutes to be alone with God, even though we're all in this room.